coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. No Netflix for Asia. Logan's run runs out. Ang Lee opens a Taiwan studio, and we look at the films Cold War and Skyfall. We're back. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin. Where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, November 14th, 2012. We've been away for about a week, but we're back. It is episode 131. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, from his super secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, two weeks gone. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, could be better. I've been battling with a cold since uh, early last week, and it does not want to seem to leave me. So uh, I do apologize if I uh, cough intermittently at night. I'll, I've got my finger right over here on the cough button, so hopefully I'll be able to mute it out, but I do apologize if I don't get to it in time. Feeling a little bit better, but I've still got a little bit of a sore, scratchy throat. Um, but other oh, than that, everything's sound... going well. Um, yeah, you sound very magnetic. You know, it's, it's yeah. nice. It's my magnetic personality, so. <laughs> Just kidding. How have you been, sir? Uh, pretty good. You know, busy. Um, of course, doing some writing work, as always. Uh, and we're right in the middle of the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. Oh, yes. How's that going? Good. Good. I've been, I, knock wood, I've been uh, able to catch all my films this year. I mean, I, I actually scaled down my plan this year. I'm watching about 15 movies at the fest this year um, because the other films are either getting theatrical releases or or they're already um available in other legit legit um form so i've been kind of cutting down this year but uh this weekend should be exciting we're going to be watching uh two films from north korea uh two period films i believe uh a a country uh whose films we don't really get to see much of uh less let alone the country itself so i uh, looking looking forward to that all right uh, we've had a lot of things going on, in, you know, in the week we were gone. Of course, uh, the U.S. elections happened, and we had the 18th Party Congress right here in uh, China. So a lot of political stuff going on. Anything su surprising or spectacular catch your eye? No, I mean, I'm I'm very happy that President Obama um, got reelected. And as a as a from from someone from a, a blue state, someone that's not from a swing state, I have to thank you, Paul, uh, a swing stater. <laughs> Or helping uh, helping President Obama get reelected, yes. um, but you know, there's nothing real as for China. I mean, you know, in a country where there's no democracy, where people don't choose their leaders, there's essentially no surprise in a in a show like the 18th Party Congress. Um, there is one thing that 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 might be relevant for our show, though. Um, the I think the Sarved or one of the authority uh, announced the other day that. Um, because be before this, uh, selling pirated discs, you have to sell, uh, you, you have to be caught with, I think, 600 or 700 copies to be, to be charged for selling pirated materials. But, um, the, the, the authorities are now, um, pr 
uh, uh, saying that they will be changing the law so that if you sell even just one or two copies, you will be charged. So that's um one pretty huge step for for stopping uh, piracy in China. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's true, and uh, you know, uh, we'll see if uh, they stick to their guns with this because uh, they've made, you know, they made claims like this before in the past. These every so often they have intermittent crackdowns on piracy when it suits them, and <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we'll have to see if it sticks this time. Uh, but yeah, a lot of stuff going on in the world, and uh, you know, some interesting stuff going on here in Hong Kong too. I saw a news report just a few moments ago before I was doing the show prep, but I didn't even have time to research this, but apparently um, they're looking into the film fund here, and they're, what they found is that like over half the films that have gotten film financing through the local film fund um, have not made any money back for the government. Um, yes. And uh, one of the reports said like one film, which was uh, the, they gave government funds of like 3 million Hong Kong dollars, and the government got back like 1,700 Hong Kong dollars. So uh, there are people looking into this now. And they said some people have been doing some tricky maneuvers with the funds and with the way it's, you know, because you're supposed to have a third party uh, who's serving as a producer, who's who's putting funds in before right. the government will agree. And apparently they've been finding that's actually it's some of the people making the film who've, created like i guess shell companies as a third party um so a lot of you know a lot of a uh, tricky business has been going on and unfortunately it looks like it's going to um maybe put a clamp down on the film fund make it harder to get films made through that what the problem is that okay many of these films actually did end up being made um looking at at the the thing here uh Madol, the third film the wudandang kung fu one um uh, claustrophobia um uh the what was it uh, strawberry cliff you know uh, echoes of the rainbow actually the most successful film of the the hong kong film fund film um but the problem is many of them aren't really hong kong films many of them you know like um what was it what's it called um the kung fu film starring uh Kaweb. Kaweb was only released in one cinema here in hong kong for like a week a year and a half after it was released on dvd in china um, and, and, uh, also, um, we're looking at 37, uh, the film that was apparently, that was supposed to be in the HKIF after the other year and then got, got pulled, never opened in Hong Kong, um, only opened in China, very limited release. These films are supposed to be got funding, you know, on a, on a basis that it will, is commercially appealing and, and it is, um, made in Hong Kong and Hong Kong filmmakers, Hong Kong stars, but it's it's clearly just a way to take the Hong Kong government's money and try to make the money back in 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 China, and there's no plan really to let Hong Kongers watch these films. Yeah, that, it's kind of sad uh, to see this happening. I, one of the things I, that instantly came to my mind was some of the tricky um, ways they manipulate money. You know, uh, and this is a practice I've heard quite a bit about going on in Hollywood, where if you've you know put in funds, if you've invested in a film, depending on how you negotiate your contract, um, whether you've negotiated for the gross or the net. Um, and I think, I, I think it was my, uh, one of my early film teachers said, you never want to, you never want to negotiate getting a percentage of the net back in your contract. You always want the gross because they've got ways to make it look like a film that's profitable actually never has a net profit somehow, you know, through, 
accounting practices and things. So you'd never see a return on it, even if a film went on to make lots and lots of money. Um, they're, they're the thing w- is, I think that the problem with the film fund is that it is done as a loan more than a grant. I mean, should should the government consider making it as a grant? You know, kind of like I think Taiwan uses the idea of subsidy and a grant instead of you know asking for the money back. Um, then you take out the whole idea of having to make commercial films and say you're just really trying to encourage all kinds of art, all kinds of films being made uh, without the pressure of, of you know, any commercial pressure, um, which may help with the local making a local film, the China situation. Um, do you think that could help, Paul? Well, you know, it's possible. It's, um, my, again, my biggest fear is that uh, if, if they see a lot of wrongdoing with a majority of these films, though, that they might just... You know, if the conservative powers in the current government are there who don't take a liking to the creative arts, they might just, you know, clamp down on the whole system and, you know, they could shut it down. And that's why Korean films have soared. That's why Taiwan films are coming back. And that's why Hong Kong's going down the drain. Yeah. Um, Well, why don't we actually spend some time getting into some news? That was a little bit of sort of unplanned news. But we do have some films to talk about this week. Kevin, what are we going to be talking about? Uh, for East Screen, we'll be talking about Cold War, the latest film starring Tony Lee, Leung Kafei, and uh, Aaron Kwok. And for West Screen, we will be talking about the James Bond film uh, Skyfall. All right. All of that and a little bit more after we get to some actual news. All right. Uh, we've got a couple news stories this week. It's been, you know, we had a week off, so we had some time for some things to build up and catch our interest. Um, up first, a little bit of an article that uh, caught my eye. I can't remember where I first came across this. I don't know if you tweeted Twitter. this or, or somebody Twitter, else tweeted Twitter. Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I sent this to you. Yeah, and it uh, kind of caught my eye. Now, uh, this is coming from the Wall Street Journal from their Market Watch uh, section. It says, when will Asia get its own Netflix? This was dated from November 4th from uh, writer Craig Stephen or Stephen. And um, basically, it looks into the spread of Netflix um you know, to, to other places, but then it starts to look at Asia and asks the question of why it hasn't sort of stretched out over here yet. Um, and basically it goes on to kind of say that uh, really it's in part because the, the powers that be don't want it over here. Um, you know, and they say that um, that basically there's a reluctance to change, and I'm quoting from the article, there's a reluctance to change the existing order. Uh, one of the barriers are the pay TV companies, uh, which are writing the content checks and have the billing relationships with consumers. Uh, the other is content owners who prefer to sell rights country by country, even though today the web is worldwide. And we, we've talked about this issue um, on a couple shows before, and it's a point of contention with me because, you know, as I've mentioned, I think the web should be sort of a neutral country of its own, you know, that if you have a, access to the web and you have a system that can allow you to pay, um, that should com- be considered sort of a separate country and not subject to, uh, you know, boundaries and, and, and third-party marketers and things like that. Of course, the current establishment doesn't want to see that happen because that takes money away from them. Um, but Kevin, I mean, you read through this. You're the one who kind of brought my attention to it. Uh, I guess, you know... <laughs> There's like a discussion we have every couple of months. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're, okay. You're you're obsessed with the, with the title Netflix. Okay, yes, we want Netflix because Netflix is a company 
that used this technology and, and managed to make it work in, in America and, and what, England as well, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're in England. I think they're up in Canada too. I could be wrong. Maybe, but that. anyway, they're they're actually not that pro- one, they're not that profitable. They remember they gave up. Um, and yeah, yes, we are we're obsessed with the with the with the idea of this company named Netflix coming well, here yeah, because of what they that's offer, true. which is that's true. Net, which is uh, internet streaming of content, right? Yes, internet streaming of content, and but we already have this in kind of slow. Slow roll. I mean, originally Netflix was a company that mails that you mails you DVDs yeah. um, as rental that you don't have to go to the rental store and you can watch a movie and then and then um, return it in the in the most um, in the most convenient way possible. And that's already been done for the last couple of years in Hong Kong, at least here in Hong Kong. Um, uh, iTunes Store um, also opened in Japan a couple of years ago and has been you know working out and it's reached here in Hong Kong and all over Asia. So it's it's slowly this idea of entertainment content being you know being able to um, you can you can purchase on the internet here in Asia. It is slowly coming. Yeah. Well, here's my thing though. I, I guess the reason why I'm so hot for Netflix is because they pretty much have one of the biggest libraries out there for like old Hollywood films. Right. Yes, we've got a, we've got you, you've got iTunes, which is great if you have the ability to pay. You know, if, if you have a U.S. credit card, you can access the U.S. store. If you've got a Hong Kong credit card, you can access the Hong Kong store. But you can't cross access. You know, you're still blocked by your geographical boundary, which really doesn't make a lot of sense. Why, why, um, why not, actually? Hmm? Why not? Why not? Well, because if you, if you have the ability to, to pay, uh, why, can't, why can't you access the Hong because... Kong store? Because and this actually, I was just talking about this with our friends at Hexagon last last week. Because the money that can be made from selling the rights is far more than just opening than than the money that we could get from right. individual consumers. And, but see, that's individual the old, that's consumers the old model. when added up, actually don't actually still still makes less money for the content yeah. owner than the rights. Sure, but that's the old model, and that's the model sure. that's killing the system because. The people who don't want to wait for, you know, the Hong Kong iTunes store to get, I don't know, the the the, the latest episode of uh, Game of Thrones, which it may never get, what are they going to do in the in the interim? They're going to go online and they're going to bit torrent it. And so then HBO is not going to get any money whatsoever. They could put up a system that says, hey, if you're willing to pay, we'll take your currency. And they could get that money directly. But because the middle companies, the distributors, still want their cut, they, you know, they, they hold deals off and they put all this stuff, you know, these barriers in place. And in the long run, it's the, it's the production companies that are going to suffer. Because there are probably no, but, people but out there that want to buy the content that don't have access to it day one. And so they're going to find it through the illicit channels. And but you know ultimate- what? I, I bet you, I bet you, I bet you $10 that... The money that comes from these people who are bittorrenting it week to week, that they end up paying for the show legally, is still less than the money that now and all these Asian Asian cable providers willing to pay HBO for the show. Well, I I, I don't know if that's the case. Then people then then these companies wouldn't be griping and complaining about you know file sharing. Are they? They are because it's taking money away. But in the end, the revenue that HBO gets from these people are still more than essentially the the people. 
that what they would get from from opening it up to to all the audiences, which is why they're still stuck with the old model. If the essentially they're following the old the old you know rule is if the system ain't broken for them, then why fix it, right? Because it's still making them a lot of money, and it's still very profitable for them. Yes, it su- it sucks for consumers, but in the end, the general consumer, let's face it, and we're not general consumers. Okay, we're we are the two of us. We are you know quick consumers. We are. People who have other ways of getting something, but general consumers here in Asia, these are people who you know who just get out of work and want to watch the TV and and don't think much about technology and don't think much about BitTorrenting. There's still more of them out there than us. That is the problem. Perhaps, but uh, I, I I I still think we're on the verge of shifting to a, a new way of thinking about. And we are, and we are, that. and but until consumer thinking changes, business thinking can't change. So right now, what we need to do is not to complain to Netflix or complain to Apple. Is we need to tell other people how they could benefit. They they should demand this kind of services because only a few of us can't change things. We need to convince everyone to demand this, and then the business react. Because why would they? Why would they lose out on a chance to make more money? So we as consumers, we need to convince these businesses that this is going to be profitable, and. And then, just a few of us, we can't just talk to the companies. We need to band together as the customer base and tell them and vote with our money that this is the way to do it. Which means we should be consuming more on iTunes Store. We should be supporting the iTunes Store as it is. We should be supporting the infrastructures, the new infrastructures that are given to us, and take advantage of that. And that will show other businesses that this is what we consumers want. I agree. Yay. <laughs> All right, uh, let us move on to our next bit of news, um, which is, uh, and I've lost my notes, there it is. Um, ATV holds a protest at government headquarters to stop uh, broadcast license. You want to tell yeah. us about this story, Kev? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> this is a story that's been actually uh, happening, developing the last couple of years. Essentially, government, three years ago, the government was interested in expanding the um, the airwaves because of digital broadcasting it gave the te- technological, you know, gave infrastructure the chance to expand the um, free TV channels here in Hong Kong because of digital broadcasting, which means more channels that, you know, that means Hong Kong can take more channels on infrastructure level. So they kind of encouraged um, private companies um, to to uh, apply for broadcasting licenses. Uh, that includes Now TV, uh, which is owned by PCW, and uh, iCable, both of which already have their own television stations here in Hong Kong, but... Um, only on broadband or cable. So, and also a third company came out called CTI, um, City Telecom, actually, uh, owned by owned by um, man named Ricky Wong. Um, he so he so a year and a half ago, two years ago, he started a new television station. Um, the government, the government, the advisory committee, uh, actually, the government already advised the government to 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 hand out the licenses a year and a half ago. Um, so, so, you know, the, <clears throat> so iCable started re- getting ready for a free TV service. Now TV started getting ready for a free TV service and CTI launched. Um, they took, they Ooh. essentially hired 200, 200 actors, uh, and many of them are regularly on TVB, um, bought new, new cameras, started shooting shows, hired writers. Essentially they, they've had an operating television station for the last year and a half, except for the broadcasting part. Um, and the government has been essentially holding on to to um, they're still consulting. They're still sitting on the license um, and unwilling to um, 
give out the license for the last year and a half, and there have been a lot of speculations why. Um, one of them is that the two existing free television stations, uh, TVB and ATV, um, have been giving uh, government pressure to, to not expand the competition. Um, or the other reason is possibly, and, and there's only speculation, I'm not saying this is fact, is that the Chinese government is, gi- is giving pressure to the Hong Kong government to not expand the airwaves because that's more media than they have to, that they have to control. Um, but ATV in, um, you know, uh, decided to uh, take things into their own hands and they, they held a demonstration <clears throat> uh, at government headquarters last Sunday to, to, to um, and they call it the, um, oh, I'm sorry, it's not ATV. They, 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 they operated under a, uh, fa- uh, a members club called the ATV club, which they claim is not connected to the TV station. And they held a demonstration uh, that was aired live on I- ATV that says uh, they sh- that Hong Kong television shouldn't expand competition and that uh, they people have to be careful and it's about Hong Kong's future. And they even did a Gundam-style dance with the Mr. and Miss Asia uh, con- contestants. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually quite a ridiculous show. The, 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 the uh, executives came out and said, you know, competition isn't healthy for Hong Kong television um, and that it makes no sense to expand the TV. There's already plenty of choices things like that, which, you know, it's quite an embarrassing show, actually, the way that ATV is trying to uh, save itself here. Well, I'm um, surprised because, I mean, Hong Kong is, the, the foundational principle of Hong Kong was, you know, laissez-faire economics. Right. You know, uh, j- just let the, the market do what the market will. And I'm, Now, of course, Hong Kong has always loved a good monopoly, and that's, uh, you know, that there's proof of that in many different industries here in Hong Kong. But I'm I'm surprised that ATV would be so open and blatant about trying to suppress business. Because ATV has been uh, actually very heavily criticized. I'm not sure how you, if you follow the the local cri- criticisms of uh, ATV is that they because the owner is uh, Wang Jing is from and not the director Wang Jing is Wang Jing I should say Wang Ching. He's actually from mainland China and and um, and. And people say that the the ATV is essentially a uh, puppet of the mainland government. They they um they're very mainland lean. They lean towards the mainland. They actually want a digital channel is CCTV four CCTV one. Um, they also have a lot of Mandarin programming, and essentially they, they many people criticize them for trying to uh, essentially channelize the the Hong Kong airwaves. And they know that they they've actually been really suffering the ratings for the last I don't know three decades. <laughs> and they really, really only take about five percent of the ratings, while TVB actually has all the ratings. Um, so they know that if CTI and now TV and iCable uh, launch their t- television stations, and you know that they have better programming because of the money they have and technology they have, they know that they'll close down. So mm. essentially, this is this is some kind of um, way to stop to try and save themselves. And I personally, I think it's quite pathetic. I think and. I have to put out a disclaimer because I actually know someone who is a writer at, at CTI, a, a writer of TV dramas at CTI. So of course I want I want you know my friend to to get work to for for the television station to launch. But I believe that yes, that Hong Kong people should have more choices without having to pay. Um, mm. In fact, it's because of the government's decision to not open up the airwaves that caused the whole um, dispute during the, before the Olympics started because iCable wanted to use their free TV station to show the Olympics for free. And because the government never, never you know, gave out the license, 
there was a big fight between the two two free TV stations, you know, trying to get trying to get the Olympics. And it's quite pathetic. It's quite strange why the government is still sitting on this. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, the, it's been sort of a back and forth. I think at one point, uh, maybe a year or so ago, there was a big kerfuffle with them saying that a lot that this new studio is going to pull a lot of the big TVB stars over. Um, and they already have. They yeah. already they've already shot like I think two, three, four television dramas, and they're still in production. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, would you would you support a you know new television stations here in Hong Kong? I know you're a big, uh, TVB. Yeah, I mean if they do if they do dramas, I'm interested in. I mean, why not? I mean, I I I, I watched the last one with Moses Chan. I kind of liked it. I'm watching the current one now. It's all right, but it's you know it's it's still the problem with um. I don't. I I can't say I watch any ATV dramas, but the problem with TVB is they're all so very formulaic, and so predictable, and they're not very daring in anything they do. I mean, we were talking on Twitter with a friend of the show, Sani, who was saying, um, you know, there there was a big a big kerfuffle. Was it last month? Because actress Kate Soy, who sometimes appears in movies over here, was um, you know, she was supposed to get raped in uh, this gang, this police procedural gang thing. And it was like one second thing that was supposed to happen. And everybody was disappointed by it, you know? And I was saying, but this is TVB. The, this is, a, this is the, the same network that where I spent, you know, five, four or five weeks watching, you know, an hour long episode every night that's supposed to be a romantic drama and no leads in this drama ever even kiss, right? Um, it, that's just the nature, the conservative nature of these of these channels. So to expect that you know, they're going to be a little bit bold, a little bit daring, I think was um, too high of an expectation on on their part, the the, the audience's part, that is to say. Definitely, I think I think there needs to be a change in the Hong Kong television environment. Um, we are are you supposed to be a world city, and Yet we let one one television station, and I don't even count ATV to me doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. They 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 only they don't even do dramas anymore. They only buy dramas and they show you know like crappy current events programming, crappy variety shows. Um, and one this this one television channel drives the entire pop culture in Hong Kong. And you know how can we be a leading a leader in Asian entertainment? How can we be a leader in Asia? With yeah. just that little bit of uh, that little that one little bit of faucet, that small faucet giving us uh, giving us uh, entertainment, it, it won't it won't help the audience. We have to cultivate better audience for better material to be made. Um, Blue Summers in the chat room says that uh, yeah he Blue Summers mentions the Kate Soy scene. Says Kate Soy gets raped for one second, best second of my life. So we're just quoting, <laughs> just quoting. <laughs> Um, there you have it. Uh, um, Mar Marco, our, our friend, uh, Marco, he can't log into the chat room, but he did, um, we, sorry, I have to go back to the Netflix story a little bit. Uh, he said that Netflix is close to bankruptcy. It doesn't matter whether it gets out in Asia or not. So that's his, his Well, it's a shame. I mean, cause I think that that's, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's the, that should be the way of the future. Or for access, you know, cloud access and streaming on demand, and hopefully somebody will come in and replace them. I mean, but wow, that's pretty fast if they're uh, 
if they're going under. I mean, they only just took down Blockbuster a couple of years ago. So, yeah, this is why they have to turn to original programming because they know the rental business itself can't. It won't. It's not going to sustain them. Yeah. So even with that available, people are still turning to bank uh, piracy and other things. So, um, well, it's yeah. because, but it's because it's not available enough. That's the problem. No, no, it's they, available they, in America. And yeah, but it's, it's not... America that's bringing itself. It's American system or the American, the American, um, uh, um, the the debt system that's bringing itself down. Yeah, I don't know. But no, like I said, that's why as consumers, if we want these things, we are the one that's going to have to do it. We can't just sit and wait for it. We have to encourage it by spending. Uh, money on new structures and and support them and that will encourage you know the big people to do it all right uh we've all right. got another movie a uh, little bit of movie news uh for this week i'm uh, heading over to taiwan uh ang lee has opened a studio uh this is a sort of building out of uh his recent work on uh, life of pi which is getting released here next week so we'll be talking about it i guess in two episodes from now um and this article coming from the MSN Movie News uh, from November 11th by Dan Bloom says, Ang Lee may carry an American passport, but Taiwan is always in his heart. Um, they've built a new high-end production facility, which is going to be jointly run with U.S. Uh, visual effects producer uh, Rhythm and Hughes Studios. Um, <clears throat> and the RH Visual Effects Center in Taiwan plans to employ 200 Taiwanese digital film artists who will be trained by RH experts. So, um, I'm, I mean, I'm not a huge follower of a lot of Taiwan cinema, but do you think this will be enough to maybe kickstart a, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an interest, more of an interest and in more production coming out of Taiwan? I mean, we had, uh, you know, You Are the Apple of My Eye uh, last year. I think there's another thing that got released, uh, getting released tomorrow, right? Um, wolf in sheep's clothing or something. When a wolf, uh, a wolf sheep. when a wolf falls in love with sheep. We yeah. also had Cedric Bali, which is the biggest uh, production in Taiwan history. No, the Taiwan Taiwan film Taiwan cinema has been coming coming back in a big way the last couple of years. Yeah. So, what are your Actually, thoughts on this? Uh, is this going to further spark up the industry? Yeah, and, and, and yeah, it's been coming back in a big way the last couple of years. And Kaohsiung actually has been trying to push itself as a filmmaking city with um, by subsidizing certain projects. I think uh, Black and White uh, was shot uh, in Kaohsiung with, with subsidy. The Soul of Bread as well. Uh, and they're continuing with the studio. So clearly Kaohsiung is, is very, very eager to try and sell, set itself apart from Taipei, you know, to try and make itself the, the Taiwan, Taiwan Hollywood uh, and encouraging a lot of film production. And I've been to Kaohsiung, but, you know, Soul of Bread and Black and White, they're Despite their flaws, they're, they're quality productions, and um, it's I think I think this studio is another really big step in in helping Kaohsiung become uh, a bigger uh, bigger presence in in Taiwanese film industry. Of course, then then again, you've got uh, Ella and Bad Girl, right? Oh yeah, that's the other Kaohsiung movie, I, I think. But still, <laughs> I mean, it, it theor- you know, it's still theoretically it's still Kaohsiung trying to it's still at least Kaohsiung made made films, and they're really trying to push it. And um, I hope that they keep encouraging the film industry. Well, I, I think it's nice that um, you know he's kind of giving back a little bit to to Taiwan cinema, and uh, he's going to be you know employing some people, and hopefully the studio will uh, again pick up some production and uh, sort of uh, rekindle uh, the industry at least at least if it's you know going to happen there because it's not going to happen in Hong Kong anytime soon, hmm. uh, unfortunately. 
All right, our last little bit of news this week, a little bit of sci-fi geek news. Um, the Logan's Run reboot has hit another hit another snag. Uh, this news coming from... Uh, wow, this is from last month. I didn't even see the date. <laughs> October 26th, <laughs> 2012. Um, I didn't even know they were doing a Logan's Run uh, reboot until I came across this. And uh, I was a little bit excited when I heard the news, but then, uh, according to this, uh, they're having some difficulty... Um, uh, getting, you know, getting some, uh, some of the things together. Uh, it says in the article, if it's done right, Logan's right, Logan's run could be a hell of a film today, though. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm, I am a fan of the original. I got the original on Blu-ray. It, it does look dated. I mean, some of the effects are definitely, uh, 1970s effects and they do look cheesy, but the Blu-ray, Blu-ray looked great and I still, still think it's a solid story. Um, but do we need a remake? Because, I mean, we've got The Island, which is kind of like Logan's Run, uh, Mike, Michael Bay style. Uh, another person on, uh, I think over on Google Plus, was commenting that uh, uh, the, the recent film In Time kind of had a similar feel, too. Um, you know, because dealing with ideas about ex expiration dates and things like that. Um and with a lot of the redone sci-fi we've gotten lately, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Total Recall and stuff. I mean, I'm finding I'd rather just stick with the original, throw the original in. I, I, I don't think we necessarily need a remake of some of these classics. I, who was it? I think it was Roger Ebert, who, or maybe it was Gene Siskel. Some, one of the famous film critics said, you know, you should never remake a classic, right? Classic movies don't need to be remade remake a crap movie <laughs> right because i mean no one will care if, if you've done it bad because it's already been done bad but you can only move up if you're going to remake a classic something that people love you've already got the deck stacked against you so go find a terrible movie you know a dog of a movie and remake that and you'll be better off i don't know i think it's ironic that people want to remake sci-fi movies because you know well, I think part of it is the, you know, you throw sci-fi in there, you get special effects and the computer graphics, and somehow, in a producer's mind, that equates to big summer movie, right? I mean, I, I can almost per picture the pitch going on in the production room and just going through, like, old classic movies, Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run. Um, I'm surprised we haven't gotten Soylent Green. You know, we already got... Uh, because everyone already knows it's human. Yeah. Well, they'd had they'd throw a twist in, you know. It's uh, Soylent Green is babies. I don't know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, um, you know, it's uh, uh, part of me would like to see it, but again, we've been so disappointed with a lot of the remakes coming out of late. Part of me says, man, eh, I'd just rather throw in the original. All right. Let us move on and finally get to talking about some movies. Hey. Hey. Okay, so we've got one East Screen film for this week, and that is, at long last, the film that is here to destroy all films, to remake all films in their image, to put all other films to shame, to become the best film ever. Um, or at least that's what the continuous trailers that we've been seeing for the past year would have us believe, right? Um... That is the film Cold War, directed by Sunny Look and Longman Lang. Um, Kevin, 
did Cold War leave you cold? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about Cold War? Sure. Uh, Cold War is the directorial debut of uh, Longman Learn and Sunny Look, uh, both of whom are actually film, very experienced film professionals. Uh, one is an art director, I think, and the other is an assistant director. Um, both have been in the industry for longer than a decade, maybe two decades now. Anyway, this is their first um, first directorial uh, film that they wrote and directed, um, and it stars... Um, Aaron Kwok and Tony Leung Ka Fai as two um, high-level um, police uh, commissioners. Uh, one, essentially, the, 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 the way that the film structures the police force is that it separates that between um, management, as in desk job people, and uh, operations, uh, people who are in the front lines. And um, the two plays essentially the head of both the, the respective sides. Uh, the film starts with a kidnapping of a patrol car, um, which includes five uh, officers, including one played by uh, Eddie Pang, a Taiwanese uh, actor who we last saw in, I think, uh, Tai Chi, actually. Uh, anyway, they've been kidnapped, and the, the um, hijackers uh, know the police procedures very well, and they, they are trying to threaten the police to give them ransom and uh, essentially putting the city at risk. Um, even setting off explosions around the city to try and uh, to try and scare them. So, um, uh, MB Lee, who is played by Tony Leung Kafai, he is the head of the operations side. Um, he takes over. He takes over the the, the operation, named it Cold War, and uh, he's very eager to to get get the patrol car back. Uh, partly because one of the officers, the the one played by Eddie Pang, is actually his son. So. Um, but uh, Sean Lau, played by Aaron Kwok, uh, he's the head of the management side. Actually, is worried that um, that he that MB is being uh, driven by emotions, and and because both men are actually uh, on the next in line to become the next police commissioner, there's a kind of a competition going on there. And but through you know some maneuvering and a lot of uh, loopholes and things like that. Uh, Sean Lau managed to uh, essentially uh, unseat MB Lee as the head of the operations and uh, and pulls off a uh, kind of a actually leads the operation to an end. I won't I won't you know give any spoiler. However, it, it gets more complicated as um, as uh, certain uh, information comes out and and one of these men might be corrupted. So the ICAC, um, led by uh, investigator played by Eric Lee. Um, are out to is um, try and find out whether there was a leak and whether there's a mole in the police force, and that's pretty much what I can say. Because I, if I give any more details, you know, just uh, you step into spoiler territory, and we don't want that. So clearly, the film was made um, and written with a lot of research about the police hierarchy and uh, about the police code. In fact, many of the dialogue is people spewing out, you know, uh, abbreviations and rules and code and and uh, things like that. Um, and the writer and directors are really eager to show off. Um, the first half of the film is excellent, I think. Um, it balances the boardroom politics uh, and the action part fairly well. There's a good mix here. The pacing is very good. The first 50 minutes goes by you know, quite quickly, and uh, the, pay, the rhythm is very nice, and it's very entertaining. Uh, however, the second half, when it gets into the, the, the meat of the story, uh, is less so, because... It feels like a man. It looks like a man who is caught in, who is trying to you know unplug his Christmas tree lights, and is caught in electrical wires and struggling to get out. Even the writer, the writers are trying to kind of untangle the little mess they've made. 
Um, and they do it in this really intense pacing that they carried over from the first half uh, with the help of composer Peter Cam. And the pacing really is almost too intense. And I, I'm not saying it's intense in a good way. The problem That's the problem. Is that it just keeps pushing you and pushing you and pushing you with these loud music and, you know, the quick editing and things like that. But it's a, the second half of the straight-up boardroom drama. Um, and and it, it kind of tires the audience out and doesn't really need to go that way. Um, in the end, you just kind of feel like you don't really quite catch what the story, how they're trying to untangle the story. It feels like you're still caught in the electrical wires. Um, also, parts of the film feels like a, a kind of a public service announcement about the police trying to inform you about, you know, the police role in the city and how how important they are in, in securing our safety. Uh, you know, it's like the, the weekly show we have in Hong Kong that's, you know, done by police, produced by the police department that's warning us about scams and, you know, telling us about how the police works and, and how great they are. It's like public relations for the police. Um, and I, that really didn't kind of sit well with me because... You know, the film is about, it's supposed to be about, you know, chaos in the police force and how the system can be manipulated. But then at the end, it feels like public service announcement. Um, there's also a long didactic speech at the end um, that's saying, you know, how one character did all the right thing and how he got it right and how he managed to do all the things right. And it, it felt really didactic and it felt like it was added for the mainland censors, I think. Um, so I don't know, I challenge anyone to tell me how, because a lot of the marketing, a lot of the praise is about how this is like a Hong Kong film. This feels like a Hong Kong film. But I, will, I, I dare anyone who praised the film, tell me wow, how is this a Hong Kong film? We have so much, you know, didacticism and so much, you know, talk about, it, you know, so much public, public service announcement, public relations, things about the police. Tell me how this is really a Hong Kong film. Um, the end does set up for a sequel. And I felt like I should have left before they that that scene came out. Um, it really doesn't need a sequel. I think as an individual film, without the last two minutes, the film would be better. I think if I have to give a star system, I would take off half a star for trying to set up a sequel. Um, as for the actors, Tony Leung is great, of course. Tony Leung Kafai, he really he's supposed to play this hot tempered character, uh, very uh, aggressive character, but he does it kind of in this sly way. He doesn't really, you know, over overdo it. Uh, and it's really good in the film. Aaron is okay. At least he doesn't overact like, you know, he does sometimes in certain films. But, um, yeah, um, he's okay here. Aerith Lee as the investigator, uh, the ICAC investigator, totally miscast. He's way too young for the role and he comes off really smug and actually, I don't even know what he's doing here. Uh, it's quite unlikable. And, uh, but, you know, the film is good. The film is good, it's entertaining, um, it's worth watching, but there's a lot of hyperbole about it being, you know, the best cops and robbers film in Hong crime film or cops film in Hong Kong since Inferno Affairs. And I, I don't buy any of that. Um, personally, I think Dante Lam with his uh, with Beast Stalker and even Still Pigeon um, as police procedural, I think those films are better, uh, more compelling, more, you know, more gripping and, 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 and uh, better issues asking better questions and more intriguing characters uh, than Cold War. Um, still, it, considering the, the quality of the films this year, it is one of the few better films. If I have to vote today a top 10, I, I would probably put Cold War on that top 10 just based on, you know, and mostly because of the first half. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's good, but not that good. Still, see Cold War. Uh, Paul, what did you think? Yeah, um, 
I'd have to say I was surprised. Uh, the, this film was pushed for so long and hyped for so long with so many trailers. And, and I mean, trailers, not just normal trailers, but sort of making of trailers where the stars were themselves were opining about how great the script was and, and you know, the, the realism and the greediness of it and everything. Um, it was kind of overkill uh, for me in, in the build-up to this. So I was kind of expecting this to to really blow chunks, but, um, it was better than I expected, and, uh, I did, I'm still not sure what happened in, in some parts, though, because there is really a lot going on, there's a lot to take in, I, you know, the departments are confusing, because you've got all this sort of hierarchical structure, and it takes a while to figure out who's under whom, and who's in whose camp, and, you know, for, you know, Andy Lau shows up at one point and I, you know, I'm like, all right, he's who? And then, you know, it took me a while to figure out he was actually not part of the police department, but he was actually one of the, I guess, one of the government ministers. Um, it flashes these department titles up there so fast, but you're still just trying to process things. Because while these department, department titles are flashing up, these people are like speaking you know, a mile a minute, they're yelling at each other, they've got, uh, you know, these, 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 uh, these monologues where they're basically posturing themselves, you know, like roosters in some ways, um, but towards the end, there were just a couple of plot things that occurred that left me scratching my head, and I, I'd probably need to watch this again to really, uh, get a better sense of exactly why some of the things that happened toward the end happened, um, but overall, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, as you mentioned, really solid performances. I, I thought Aaron Kwok was, was good here. I'm not a big Aaron Kwok fan. Um, you know, he's, he's for me a hit or miss, depending on the roles and the directors directing him. Um, and I think more often than not for me, he's a miss than a hit, but I thought he was really well cast here and worked well doing sort of his counter to... Um, Tony Lung, Kafai's role, um, but yeah, it it does really kind of now that you mention it feel like sort of a public service announcement for the police. Um, <clears throat> but there's a lot of cameos in here for people who are you know just general fans of Hong Kong cinema. A lot of star watching and star power to spot um, people all over the place. In, in some and just some really minor roles. Uh, I mentioned Andy Lau. We've got Charlie Young. Uh, Chin Kailak, who's always a treat for me anytime he's he's in, in a role. Um, Terrence Yin, you know, brings a few smiles at times. Uh, Andy Ahn, um, uh, JJ from, you know, TVB. Michael Wong, you know, shows up uh, uh, even. And I gotta, you know, I gotta pull up uh, something just for that, you know. I have my own car! There you go. Um, so... Uh, you he know, didn't have his own plane clearly because he's away. He's away. Yeah, he's off. He's, he's off in off in Europe, right? Um, yeah. So there's really, you know, there's really a lot to look forward to uh, in the film, and you you do sort of get get up to speed on what's going on. There is sort of a big mystery that's being unraveled, and you're never really sure of who's doing what and for what motivations. But it all sort of comes clear at the end. Uh, this film, as you mentioned, does sort of get the fail award, though, for trying to set up a sequel. I haven't seen a film so blatantly do this since uh, Detective 2, right? 
where the 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 film you think the film's over and then this extra part is just sort of tacked on and it just leaves you hanging going what what you mean i actually have to wait for a sequel now and it really just throws everything off um so i agree with you that if they they should have just left that off that left that as sort of a um an easter egg for the the, the video release that would have been okay um for me, perhaps one too many monologues. Um, a couple of the characters, again, do this opining and posturing uh, quite quite often and perhaps a little bit too much. Um, but at the end, I think that it has the right elements. You know, they're really trying to push this as sort of an infernal affairs kind of a thing. There's even a rooftop scene um, where I'm kind of thinking, all right, they're really going for the infernal affairs feel here. Um so it has all the right elements. It's got it's you know it's directed by people who've worked in things like art direction, so it looks great. The cinematography is very good. The action elements in it are pretty exciting too. Um, but I think it's trying too hard mm-hmm. in some ways. I think it's really it, it knows what it wants to be, and it's trying to give us everything, right? And we don't need it all. We don't need everything that it's trying to give us. So I think that it could have been slimmed down a little bit and it would have uh it would have been a little bit fitter a little bit trimmer in terms of the story in terms of the narrative in terms of the pacing um but i agree it's still good it's still likely probably one of the best films of the year um i'd say it'd definitely be in a top 10 possibly even in a top five for me not as good again it's not really uh for me it's not there in terms of um, some of the characterizations with, say, something like Infernal Affairs, um, though this is, you know, if Infernal Affairs was sort of a look at the crime world of undercovers or moles, and PTU was, say, a look more at the general sort of street-level police officers, this is a look at admin level, right? Because it's all about different administrations. You've got these, you know, sort of interdepartmental administrations, then you've got the ICAC. I do agree. I think Arif was a little bit miscast. I think they needed somebody young in the role, but maybe a J.C. Chan. They need someone older, you know. Actually. Someone older. I well, I think, but part of the thing was that he was supposed to be younger than the peop- than the, the leads, you know, because he was supposed <laughs> to be sort of the, the, the new novice. And yeah, but but considering the age of the, the two leads, yes, you, you could actually really go older <laughs> from Arif. Maybe, maybe. Um, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, I, the, the whole interdepartmental kind of thing, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, I want to say like Flying Swords of, of Dragon Gate and, and some of the other period films we've been seeing of late where it's about sort of these interagency battles, you know, these struggles for power. Um, and that is kind of interesting, but, um, by the end, once you've kind of seen how everything's kind of laid out figured out everything's kind of laid out there are still a couple questions that you're asking yourself and just thinking was this really the plan was this really sort of the best way um to 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 go for those results uh seems a little bit um a a little bit unnecessary in some ways but um uh, again good film see it um especially if you are interested in anybody who's in any of the leading roles because they're all good you were just saying that, yes, you were talking about all the inter- interdepartmental thing. And that's my problem, is that the film feels like a propaganda for the cops. Because there's a reason why Hong Kong is a security bureau, 
and the Hong Kong police force is only part of it. Yeah, it's because there is you know it's balance of power. Uh, Security bureau actually oversees everything, but yet this is all about the police. The police does this. The police does that. The police does this. It, it, and in the end, you know, the police of course comes out on top, and 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 it's it's a very um, I almost I, I can't say disturb, especially you know. Lots of stories lately about the police um, uh, abusive, you know, abusing their authority in Hong Kong. After knowing these stories, it feels a little disturbing to me. It, it maybe kind of unsettled the end. How how glorious the police is! <laughs> the yes. Well, you know, it, it, like I said, they're trying to get everything in there that they can. They they do want this to be kind of China friendly, you know, and um, I and it's been a big hit in China. I yeah, that part that. didn't bother me, um, you know that much i'll say um so uh it's it's not as blatant as a lot of the other films we've seen of late for trying to get in that window so sure all right let us move on and uh talk about our west screen film all right so we um we have one west screen film for this week and that is the latest James Bond entry Skyfall this is coming from director Sam Mendes. Um, so Skyfall finds our, our title character James Bond out in the field uh, trying to track down this uh, you know the, the, this uh, data disk which has a listing of lots of uh, field agents uh, listed on it. Now I, I'm sure that I've seen this plot device used in a Bond film. I couldn't place it though. Uh, but basically a list of names that's out there that can't fall into the enemy hands, right? Um, and so initially it does sort of get into enemy hands, and um, Bond is very quickly knocked out of commission, um, although somewhat accidentally. Um, and only later when uh, some aspects of this come back to haunt uh, MI, uh, the MI department in, in, in the UK um, and lead to some terrorist attacks that seem to be coming from somehow coming from inside the department itself um does bond finally resurface and take up his role as 007 again in an attempt to sort of root out the, the true villain um that villain of course being Javier Bardem uh who has a grudge we might say against uh the leader um M played by um, of course, uh, the the great uh, Dame Judi Dench. So that kind of sets up the basis of Skyfall. And I guess, you know, I don't want to get too much further into the story because it would start to get into perhaps some spoiler areas. But um, what can I say? Bond is back with uh, less born, but more barred. Um, yeah, because this is directed by Sam Mendes, who's, you know, he's got a lot of Shakespeare in his belt. If you look at some of what he's done recently, um, you know, film-wise, probably people in the West would recognize him for things like things like Road to Perdition and American Beauty. But of course, um, if you look at his stage career, he's got a lot more directing uh, stage credits to his name, and a lot of spends a lot of time with you know classical theater productions, including a lot of Shakespeare. And so it's interesting that as I was watching this, I was seeing quite a lot of Shakespearean elements kind of come through with this story. And with that, I think he was probably, a, you know, an excellent person to come in and, and, and take the lead 
um, for this particular story. Um, uh, because there are Shakespearean themes really, really all, all throughout it. I mean, when you get into the relationship between Bond and uh, the, the, the main villain, uh, who initially goes by the name Silver, and then, of course, uh, M, played by Judi Dench, uh, and they're all the, the relationship between these three characters and their motivations, it's very Shakespearean. So it's the right director for the job. Um, I have to say, I've not been a fan of Daniel Craig as Bond. I've not really liked any of the Bond films to date. This one finally changed my mind. Uh, for me, it was the best Craig Bond film. It started to feel like a Bond film before, and I really, really enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Um, of course, Judy Dench, you know, she could probably, I don't know, um, do mime, and I would love it. I've always liked the work that she does. Um, but we also get some other um, somewhat recognizable actors in here. We get Ralph Fiennes, uh, who comes in to play um, sort of a new minister of security who's looking into uh, the, the MI department. And, of course, um, Albert Finney shows up right in a small role. But, of course, that gives us a very solid connection back to the Bourne films because he had a very prominent role in, in some of the Bourne films. So uh, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, but uh, there's a new Q who's, for my taste, a bit too young, a bit too hip hipsterish. Um, I've always liked sort of the older, sassier Qs um, who have a lot more experience. And I'm not sure I'm sold on the new Q. But really, the, I've found the story very solid. It does hop around quite a bit to different locales, and that always gives you know, me a sort of a James Bond feeling when we hit all these different places. Um, goes to Shanghai for a bit, has some Bondish stuff going on there, uh, ends up in Macau. Real question for me is how's this going to play in China? And maybe that's something you can address in a moment, Kev, because, um, you know, Bond is basically a British agent going rogue uh, in Shanghai under the noses of the authorities. Now, we can't have that, can we? Um, but as a Bond film, um, it does a couple things that I kind of liked. It makes it makes fun of Bond films in a couple places. It makes fun of the gadgets, um, but it also pays homage to some of the classic gadgets, and uh, I really I really appreciated that aspect. Um, it sets up some both both some old and new Bondisms, and I'm guessing they're gonna you know set the stage to carry these over into uh, later films. The real question, I guess, is gonna be: Is this you know, is Craig going to do another Bond film? Because one of the things they were kind of alluding to here was, you know, getting older and, and being in this line of work. And so um, I've, I've heard rumors of perhaps passing the torch. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's always a scary proposition because you never know if you're going to like the next Bond or not. I haven't liked Daniel Craig until this point, as I've mentioned. Um, so, you know, who knows, uh, who they will get to fill his shoes now that he's finally <laughs> made a film that I really like. Um, but for me, yeah, this is definitely a see it. And, uh, you know, if he comes back for another one and it's this good, I think I'll be equally happy. Uh, Kevin. Yep. Um, well, don't worry. I think Craig, Daniel Craig's has signed on for, I think two more, I think I'm not sure, but he did mention he is getting old. He's like 42 now. And he said it's getting tougher for him to do to to get into to get into shape. 
for the role. Um, as for China, actually, the film was to have a longer shoot in China. It was supposed to shoot there for like a month, I think. But um, they cut it down to a week, I think, after after authorities uh, requested to for script changes. So they cut down on, on the shoot in China and they shot a lot of the, I think, the so-called China locations uh, elsewhere. Especially, I think, the, the secret island that, that uh, the, the villain owns that you see uh, around the hour mark. I, don't, I think that, that they just shot off China, outside China. Uh, they, I think they did a week of shooting in China and it's kind of clear which, which scenes they are. And that's essentially a few outdoor shots and that's it. Um, but, but the film did apparently pass censors in China already, but it's not set to open until February. So the film did pass Chinese censors uncut, mm. as far as I know. So, uh, but uh, we'll see in February when uh, when it actually opens in China. See what there if there were any cuts, especially in the Shanghai scene, because you know Macau anything can happen in Macau because Macau is you know a corrupted city <laughs> full of gamblers. So it's okay. But the Shanghai section, the five minute Shang- or ten minute Shanghai se- section, is the one to watch out for. But anyway, we'll find out next year when the film opens there. Um, this continues the Bond reboot that started with Casino Royale. This is the third film in that line. And um, it is so much better than Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace was a huge mistake for trying to, you know, continue by essentially being the third act of a film. And it totally didn't work um, um, that way, I think. So it's, it's, I'm glad that it's, they're actually telling a new story here. Um, Mendes, he, he's not really an action director. Um, the closest thing he's done to action may be Road to Perdition just because it has guns in it and killers. Uh, but he takes a very steady, measured approach with the material. Um, aside from the opening sequence, like 10, 15 minutes long, um, he takes a very kind of a, a very patient pacing to, to the story. Uh, that means no shaky cam. Thank you. Uh, mostly the action is shot in wide shots, um, mostly in steady shots without any, you know, big shaky, shaky moments. And you can actually see the action happening. And I'm very happy about that. Um, so that's great. Um, the main cast is all great. Like, uh, I actually, unlike you, Paul, I actually like Daniel Craig. Um, I didn't like Quantum of Solace, but I like Craig as Bond, as a new tougher Bond. Um, but like you said, I didn't really like the, you know, like you mentioned, I, I agree. I don't really like the born element in the new series, but I like Craig as Bond. Um, and he's good here. Pretty Dench, of course, great. Ray Fiennes, um, you know, good, good bro here uh also i like the new q too you know a new twist to to the formula younger q um even the bond girl there's not really much of a bond girl here because um each of them only show for very short short um stretches of the film uh but naomi naomi harris um is okay as as a a fellow agent um the french actress who plays the the femme fatale also just fine uh, yeah, this is not really much of a Bond girl in this film. So made that that kind of that kind of uh, de- changes the formula a little bit. The villain though, Javier Bardem, he is nuts, and I mean in a good way. He's flamboyant and he's nuts, and and he's always you know as much as scary as he is, he's he's always watchable, and you want to keep watching, you want more of him, and he's great. Um, his motivation in the scheme of things is actually quite minor, but. It's one that actually does drive the story, and 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 you feel that he is very motivated to to pull out his to, to carry out what what he's what he plans to do. So he feels like a real villain finally, you know, one a villain that 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 Bond can you know you know that would challenge Bond, uh, and has stakes and that's just dramatic stakes, and uh, I think he's a good villain. 
Um, the story in general, though, is a bit underwhelming if you think about it. It's kind of a minor story, you know, considering it's, it's a film that, you know, travels the globe and has, you know, big spectacle and things like that. But the story is a little underwhelming, especially in the, in the third act where it goes. Um, but still, Roger Deakins' cinematography, brilliant. The way that he, he, he lights certain scenes, the, 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 the brown, light brown you know, tone that you see is very Roger Deakins because he uses that in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. Um, the ending when the, literally a fire literally lights the entire scene, just a fire, no lights, a fire. Um, it's all very beautiful to look at. I've seen this film twice. I saw it in a regular 2K screening and one on a 4K 4K projector, which is essentially the the the, the cutting edge, the top, the most high highest resolution you can go with with current uh, projection technology. Um, it's you know at least affordable projection technology, and it looks crisp, very nice. It, it's brilliant, and I hope that the Academy doesn't forget him come awards time. I don't care if the film gets nominated or not, but I would like Roger Deakins to be recognized uh, for his cinematography here. Um, it's a turning point. For this new series, uh, this new reboot, I won't say how, but it is. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to see how the producers will continue. Uh, will go. They they have mentioned in interviews that they might bring back Quantum, which was the the big secret organization uh, in the first two films of this this stretch. Um, even though they're not saying they will do it next time, um, so I would like to see who they bring back and who or who will they get. A new director, the writers, they get to to top because the the two writers, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, they're leaving the, the the franchise as well after this film, and they've been writing the Bond films I mean, for like a decade, fifteen years now. So I have to see who they get to to top this one. It's it's going to be very tough, but I hope that the producers will find the right people and the right material. Um, but yeah, this is a very good Bond film. I I've been watching Bond films since GoldenEye. I still think this is not as good as Casino Royale. I think that one is still the best one out of this, this trilogy so far. Um, but I still say it's excellent, and I would say see it. All right. Good news for Mr. Bond. Oh, but we did. Oh, we have a question. So we should, we should since we were talking about Skyfall. Well, uh, um, Steve Barr no, had no, a question. No, 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 no. Yeah? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Steve, Steve sent me an email later after he saw the film, and he said to nix his question. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot to forward that email to you. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, but we do have some comments, and we'll get to them right after uh, this. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Right, we have a couple comments uh, that have people have sent in to us. The first one coming from Matt S. He says, uh, "Sorry, Internet. I know it took hours of creative effort to Photoshop those mouse ears onto Darth Vader, but I survived the Disney buys Lucasfilm story with my brain relatively unfried. I was at Disney World this summer, and the writing was on the wall. The place was awash in Star Wars Mickey mashups, so it's not like this came out of left field." Uh, plus, Kevin, I only really care about the original. Or is it plus, like Kevin, I only really care about the original trilogy, and I still can't buy the version 
I saw in the theaters, meaning that uh, the sort of the original version uh, where uh, hand shot first, right? Um, so, so it's not a huge part of my life today. Curious to see how the new movies turn out, but my sanity does not depend on the outcome. He says, P.S. Yeah, Solomon Kane, that turned out way better than expected. Um, so, uh, sort of commenting on some of the things we talked about last time with the Lucasfilm buyout and um, um, my disappointment with uh, the Silent Hill 2 film, which was uh, had the same director as Solomon Kane. Um, I guess we should also mention there's a poll going on over at the Love Hong, Hong Kong film site. Uh, Kevin, you want to give us some more info on that poll? Yeah, uh, Kozo is doing the ultimate Hong Kong film poll. Um, uh, he is asking for you guys, the, the listeners, the readers, to um, vote what you think are the top Hong Kong films of all time. And of course... This, you know, opinion is always subjective, so he means your favorite Hong Kong films of all time. And he's also opening up to uh, accepting votes for the best performances of all time. Uh, there are, you know, rules and conditions, you know, because we don't want to, you, we don't want many, you know, we don't want anything to skew the, 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 the polls. So there are rules to read up and we can't go into it here because there's, you know, just not that much time. But go to www.lovehkfilm.com, uh, read Kozo's blog post, and find out how to vote. Um, if you, if you, we, we are trying to make the definitive uh, fan favorite, uh, fan favorite list here. We want you to represent yourself. We want the internet community to represent themselves. We want to show the world this is the Hong Kong films we like. So um, put your put your votes in. Um, we don't want any recounts or, you know, chats and anything like that. Uh, yeah, put in your votes. Put in your votes. Put in your votes. Best Hong Kong film of all time. Best Hong Kong performances of all time. Let the world know what you think about Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. Um, and this is... Uh, the, the, the site has done polls before. You know, we've looked at, like, the best... Uh, uh, the best uh, two films, you know, 2000, 2010. The best films of uh, 90s. Best films of the 80s. And so this sort of being the, the penultimate uh, poll is probably going to be the last poll that he does. Yes, uh, because... Um, cause he's, cause because he's, there... he's done all and, and going... I mean, we could go back to the 70s and, and the 60s and, and earlier, but that starts to get into territory where both Kozo himself hasn't seen a lot of the films. Um, you are Both yours exposure and my exposure is actually quite limited to those periods. And it's very difficult to get a lot of the films from those periods. You know, a lot of the the better stuff, even from the 80s, is, you know, some of the top films that they're showing, for example, in the 100 must-see films from those early periods, you can't get on DVD or Blu-ray. Exactly, exactly. So, so actually, you know, there isn't really anywhere you can go after the, the best ever list. You know, what, what can you say? the best Hong Kong film shot outside of Hong Kong. There's, it really is nowhere to go after you've done the ultimate Hong Kong film list, which is why Kozo is calling this the last poll the site will ever do, because really, where else can you go? Yeah, been there, done that. Of course, you can always do the best, you know, Ekin lines of all time or the, you know, best uh, Michael Wong moment. How could you compare, so, though? Yeah, I mean, but that's just like rebooting the franchise yeah. with a different star, and that's not going to work. Wait, uh, wait, what? Bond, wait, what? 
All right. Um, so there's that. So, yeah. I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, so if you would like to be part of the show, head over to our website at concast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Or check in with us at iTunes. Um, head over there and you know leave us a review. Um, five stars is nice. Four stars is okay. Three, two, or one. Let us know what you like, what you don't. Uh, you know, what you'd like to see done differently. We're happy to hear uh, any constructive feedback that you have to offer for us over there. Uh, Twitter, you can follow us on twitter.com slash concast for the site and site updates. Twitter.com slash foxlore uh, if you're interested in following my inane ramblings. And uh, twitter.com slash thegoldenrock if you would like to know more about the Hong Kong film industry, uh, the China film industry, what's going on in terms of box office numbers, how Hollywood films are doing over here in comparison with local films, um, all this kind of stuff, what festivals are going on, what's good, what's not. Um, please do follow uh, Kevin, and that's uh, twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. Uh, you can hit us up on email. That is gmail, uh, eastscreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to drop us a line, uh, ask us a question or two, we might talk about it here on the show. You, you can even consider to send us a short audio file, a quick review of a film, Hong Kong film you liked, and we might play that here as well. Uh, Facebook, we're on the Facebook too, facebook.com slash East S, West S, and uh, Kevin will be updating, you know, things from there time to time, what's going on, notes and relevant uh, information. We're also on Google+, um, pretty much just through my own postings. Uh, we do have a movie group listing over there for events when we go out to movie nights here in Hong Kong to watch local films. If you're going to be in Hong Kong or passing through Hong Kong and you would like to join us for a movie night, drop me a line over on Google+, and I can get you in to that, uh, to that loop. Catch us on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. We thank them for their support. Additional thanks to Rob Gobbers of Snauzer Studios for our theme. Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for helping to organize our movie nights here in Hong Kong. And, of course, for doing such amazing polls to keep us all uh, interested in Hong Kong cinema. Of course, the K-Man for sticking with me for 131, soon to be 132 episodes. And, as always, all of you, the listeners... Uh, for being here with us each and every week, whether you're in the chat room right now with some of the guys like Kenneth and Blue Summers and others, or if you are listening to us in podcast form, we appreciate that you're out there and that you're listening. Next show, episode 132, um, looks like we've got one local film coming out, and that is the new film Triad, which, yeah, what is it about? Well, it's about Triad. Uh, category 3 film, but uh, I think it's probably going to be Category 3 not for the sexy time, but probably for the ceremonies and the maybe a little bit of gore, uh, similar to movies like Election, Election 2, or, uh, you know, other triad films of the past, right? like Chow, Chow Yun-Fat's Triads, The Inside Story. Nothing really bad in there, just showing some of the, some of the ceremony, and they don't want, I guess they don't want kids to, uh, you know, follow that, and so they throw the category three label on there maybe some language too right um so there's that i don't know anything else on the horizon for the next show kevin tons of stuff coming up huh uh we got argo finally the ben affleck film the critically acclaimed ben affleck film uh also i, I will be which i will be catching of course um uh 
as quickly as possible. I will be catching a new Shah Rukh Khan movie, uh, Jatta Kajan, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is you know opening the Diwali for Diwali um, big Diwali period in, in in India. So I'll be catching that Friday night, and uh, hopefully also be catching the Taiwanese film uh, when uh, when a wolf falls in love with sheep. You know, oh yeah, so. that one's starting tomorrow as well. I might try and get out and catch that. Yeah. All right, so yeah. we've got some stuff on the horizon. Um, and, you know, we're getting close to the holiday season, so uh, a lot more stuff coming out. Why don't we have Wreck-It Ralph, though? That's like... Because they're holding it to Christmas. Ah, I hate when they do that. More money yeah. is to maximize taking. Yeah. Well, uh, but we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe because the holidays are almost here. Next week, Thanksgiving! Finally, at long last, I get to have some pumpkin pie. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff coming ahead and both films and some other news, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing and we will see you next week. See you guys next week. Uh